This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 299. This podcast is brought to you by the new knee. If knee pain has slowed you down this season, let Nooney help you get back on track. It's a patented innovation designed specifically to relieve that dreaded runner's knee pain. So don't run with knee pain, run with new knee. You can order yours today at nooneeshop.com and get an end of season discount of 20% off. Just go to nooneeshop, that's N-U-N-E-E shop.com and use the code MTA20 for 20% off. We'd also like to thank this episode's sponsor, the Chirp Wheel Plus. It's a back pain relief device that targets muscles around your spine. The Chirp Wheel Plus is shaped like a wheel and wrapped in a compression padding. The wheel's 5-inch width and spinal canal cradles your spine and gives your muscles a four-way stretch. So don't let back pain stop you from enjoying your run. Head over to gochirp.co forward slash MTA to get your Chirp Wheel Plus 3-pack for 15% off with code MTA. That's gochirp.co, that's a .co, not a .com, forward slash MTA to pick up your Chirp Wheel Plus 3-pack for 15% off with code MTA. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy Podcast where we empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, Angie recaps the Hartford Marathon in Hartford, Connecticut, her 60th marathon, and interestingly, her fastest to date. Plus, I'll tell you about the Kaiser Marathon in Austria. And in this episode's quick tip segment, you will hear how to set yourself up for a marathon PR. And of course, you can get more help in your training and get all of our back podcast episodes as well inside the academy. You can learn how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. So Angie, we have so much to talk about. This is going to be a three-hour episode, I'm afraid. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done a three-hour episode. I don't know if I have the stamina for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like as long as your marathons now. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we have a lot of exciting stuff. Angie has a shiny new marathon PR uh, I just got back from Austria where I attempted to run a marathon. I'll tell you guys about that. <laughs> and of course, huge news in the running world. Elliot Kipchoge set a new marathon record, of course, unofficial record in Vienna. He ran one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds to just smash through that two hour barrier. So huge excitement and of course, motivation for the rest of us there. Yeah, you guys haven't heard about that, have you? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And then the same weekend, the women's record, which had stood for 16 years, was smashed at the Chicago Marathon. Bridget Koskai, she ran two hours, 14 minutes, and four seconds. So she went 81 seconds under the previous record, which had stood forever. It was Paula Radcliffe's record. You know, I don't know what is more amazing, the fact that the two-hour barrier was broken or the fact that the women's record fell by such a huge margin. So with the Chicago Marathon taking place recently and other races, we'll make a couple of shout outs here and just give some props to runners who are doing amazing things and just want to spread enthusiasm and show you guys what's possible. This note comes from Sheila. She says, I finished my first marathon in Hartford on Saturday. Sorry, I didn't see you, Angie. And it felt glorious. I started running at the age of 53, and now six years later, I am fitter than when I was in my 30s. Wow. What a wonderful gift. Thank you so much, Angie, Trevor, and MTA. Wow, we love hearing that. So glad that running is paying off big for you, Sheila, and congrats on running your first marathon in Hartford. 
This note comes from Gregory. He says, this stupid marathon bug, why is it so rewarding? And he laughs. He says, thanks so much to MTA coach Chris and Trevor and Angie. After getting into Berlin through the lottery last year and having had a few rough runs, I'm so glad I made the decision to get coaching. All my stupid questions and probably redundant ones were answered. I ran the Berlin Marathon, and despite the crowds and my gut not cooperating, I still managed to squeak out a shiny new PR of 4 hours, 11 minutes, and 54 seconds. That is awesome. Thanks, Gregory. And we don't mind stupid questions here at MTA, do we, Angie? That's right. It's, it's better to ask them than to always wonder. Actually, he was coached by uh, Chris Gallaty, one of our coaches here on the team, who is actually a teacher as well. And he's a guy that likes to give real thorough answers. So I think it worked out well. Terry says, I ran a 10-minute PR at the Berlin Marathon for a time of 4 hours, 15 minutes, and 29 seconds. I fueled with UCAN, and my mantras for this race were choose happy and see goodness. Also, I listened to three MTA episodes during the race. The race was awesome, but my favorite part was enjoying a beer at our MTA meetup celebration. Next up, Oktoberfest. That sounds like my kind of traveling right there. <laughs> this note comes from Kevin. He says, racing season 2019 is ending, and I wanted to give a big shout out to my MTA coach, Steve, for this amazing year. I set PRs before today in the 10K, 10 miles, 20K, half marathon, and 20 miler. And today, to cap it all off, I set a 25-minute PR for the marathon in Chicago with hitting a time of 4 hours, 16 minutes, and 39 seconds. Thanks again, Coach Steven, for getting me here. Well, it sounds like he's on fire. I think Kevin has had an epic year. That's right. This note comes from Bill. He says, I'm supremely grateful to MTA coach Dominique for helping me achieve yet another PR. I'm still pinching myself as my A goal was three hours and 17 minutes. The weather was ideal for me and I felt really well prepared. Coach Dom told me once that PRs usually involve risk taking. A couple of miles in, I just felt so good that I decided to test myself and take calculated risks. I began running faster accordingly. I endured a wave of side stitches and was self-aware for the inevitable crash that I expected to come. But when I hit mile 20 with strength still in my legs, I just ripped it up through the final 10K to the finish in 3 hours, 12 minutes, and 34 seconds. The St. George Marathon is so well organized in its 42nd year, and the course is an absolute speedway with few turns and lots of downhill. I would highly recommend it for PR hunters and the great community support. Yeah, we've heard great things about St. George Marathon in Utah, but finishing five minutes ahead of your A goal, 3-12-34, that is just blazing fast. Uh, Huge congrats, Bill, on all your success. And all of you guys out there just putting in the work, just want to encourage you to keep it up and hope you enjoyed this episode. we got some races to recap. We're going to go ahead and jump into it all right now. Well on my way, well on my way. So Trevor, you've been doing a bit of world traveling lately. Uh, You popped over to Europe to do a marathon and it was interesting to say the least. So I'm excited about hearing you tell us about your trip and uh, how the race went. Yeah, that's right. I'll give you guys a quick recap here. I went over to Austria to do the Kaiser Marathon near Innsbruck and the race is actually in a little town called Zul. And I wanted to do a marathon in Austria. It coincided well with when I wanted to be over there. And I wanted to do a trail race in the Alps. So made plans to go to the Kaiser Marathon, flew into Munich, stayed with my friends Andy and Franzi Link, 
who listened to the podcast, and they were just fresh off of the Berlin Marathon, so we had all kinds of running stuff to talk about. Anyway, drove down to Austria. I'd only driven through the country last year just briefly, so I wanted to go back. I wanted to take some time, see some stuff, stay a couple nights. One thing I really enjoy when I travel is meeting up with folks that listen to the podcast. We've got a lot of listeners in Europe, and they're just wonderful folks, so here's a couple little sound bites for you guys. Hello, guten Morgen. We are here in Germany. I've been staying with Andy and Franzi. They've been kind enough to host me, and we are here looking at Andy's 50K training plan. He's ha He has it all laid out like a mad scientist. Andy, uh, guten Morgen, wie geht's? Hi, Trevor. Uh, first of all, nice to have you back here in Munich. Um, I'm well, thank you. So how many marathons are you up to now? I know you did Athens last year, right? So how many marathons total have you done now? Uh, four now. Munich twice, then Athens, the original one, and uh, Berlin two weeks ago. And so what do you got next? Um, well, there's something going on in my mind now. Um, I'd like to do not going so fast anymore, but probably go a little bit longer distances. And um, people told me when I read about um, an ultramarathon in South Africa. It's called the Two Oceans Marathon around uh, Kapstadt, Cape Town. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's a 56k, not a trail. I think it's mostly on flat surface and it's just called one of the most beautiful ultramarathons that there is. And I think about going there. 56k. That's a uh, so wie langer Weg zu laufen, yeah? Yeah, das ist in der Tat ein langer Weg zu laufen. It's a long way, yeah. For me at least. For me too. Okay, so you and I are probably pretty different when it comes to our training. As you guys listen to the podcast know, Angie and I are really different too, and she's very type A. Andy, I have a feeling that you're very type A as well, and that you just love to hit just all of your training workouts, exactly how the plan lays out. Yeah, uh, exactly. I always feel I listen to you guys, and what I really enjoy, by the way, I always feel that I am more type Angie than type Trevor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't That's know. Good. It's uh, I think it for me it's just it gives me a sense of to check something off, to give me a feeling mm -hmm. of uh, security that I did what I had to do and then when it's done I can rest and I can do other stuff and so what I learned from the small time of experience that I have is that cannot underestimate rest and yeah. and uh, core workout because the one thing that hit me once and I think you had it on a podcast too that you can you don't get better through training but you get better through rest, rest after training one really has to keep that in mind so true well good luck at the uh, two oceans marathon and all the training that you're going to be doing through the winter time. I'm sure it gets pretty cold around here. And um, vielen Dank für deine Gastfreundschaft. <laughs> Very well. Und es ist sehr schön, dich wiederzusehen. Yeah, it was great having you back here. Check, Mike. One, two, check. Okay, I am here, of all places, at the Munich Oktoberfest with Coach Kristen. Coach Kristen, how are you doing? Good, good. Happy to be here at Oktoberfest. This is what you teach your clients to run and then go drink a bunch of beer? Hey, it's all about balance. So you can enjoy <laughs> enjoy your food, but also live in balance too. So tomorrow I'm going to stock up on the veggies and drink some water and it'll be good. So That's a better plan than my plan. <laughs> so you just uh, ran the Berlin Marathon uh, a couple days ago. How did, that, how did that go in Berlin? It was good. You know, I was hoping for better weather, but, you know, the crowd in Berlin was great. Um, I really enjoyed the marathon, enjoyed the people, um, really just soaked in a lot of the um, 
different runners from all different countries that were there and really had a great, great experience. So, and loved meeting some other MTA members as well, too. Well, congrats on checking off uh, another world major and finishing another marathon. And so cool to hang out with you and your husband, Taylor, here at Oktoberfest. Who'd have thought that the fates would align? We would be surrounded by drunk, happy people <laughs> here in the beautiful city of Munich. So great thanks so much and like i said it was great to just run the race and uh, meet up with some other mta members and also meet up with you and have some great times at oktoberfest as well awesome auenweg is that where we are auenweg yeah. all right we're here in auenweg sieben in österreich with <laughs> meine freunde all right i'm here in austria with dominique and tony we just met today they were kind enough to invite me over for dinner the night before my marathon and to duly warn me of what I was getting into because they, they know these mountains, they ski here, and I'm in for a lot of suffering tomorrow, it sounds like. <laughs> but thank you for the heads up, you guys, and thanks for the great meal. So, uh, Dominique, how long ago did you start running marathons? I mean, how did you get into this this whole world? Um, I've always been running a little bit. Actually, when I used to live in Philadelphia, I used to do the Broad Street run every year. And so I was... 10 mile or 16k and then mm -hmm. we moved to germany and then my little baby was still taking a lot of my time and then at some point when he turned three i thought oh wait i have a bit more time and then i said okay i want to do another half marathon and get back into shape then after the half marathon i said i want to do another one and i said ah well now i have the time let's do a marathon so that's how I ended up at some point Finally, ran my first marathon in 2017, and I did Munich in 17, and then Berlin in 18. Nice. Now you have to keep the the, the German marathon streak going. It's a good question. I'm not sure which one is going to be the next. Maybe maybe a mountain one. I don't know. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. You could run to the top of the Hohe Sabla. Does anybody ever do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no one's crazy enough to do that. No one's crazy enough. Okay, I'm also here with uh, Dominique's husband, Tony. Er ist äh, der Mann von Dominique. <laughs> and Tony was telling me about this. He does Spartan races, uh, but you had a sandbag carry, which I'm going to think about tomorrow when I'm pulling a hill. Tell me about your Spartan race with the sandbag carry. Yeah, the sandbag carry this race, which is the one in, um, in Oberndorf in Austria, was uh, 1.1 miles with, I think, around 500 feet of elevation. These sandbags are heavy. I mean, they're... Uh, it was 60 pounds, exactly. Because okay. it said so on the bag. <laughs> Tw yeah. 27 kilo, 60 pounds. And it was pretty miserable. It had me questioning my, uh, my life choices that brought me to that point. You think that was the toughest obstacle in that race? It was. It was. And, and it was the toughest thing about that race. And I stepped over a cow fence and electrocuted my groin. Ooh. And, and the sandbag was worse. <laughs> Wow! Did the did the race put that fence there intentionally for no, that purpose? No, no, it was uh, it was just a cow fence, but we all had to go over it. And I was yeah. and, they, they, and they had some volunteers there at that point directing people and asked them, you know, do we go over or under? And they said, no, oh, it doesn't matter. And I, you know, with like two thousand racers coming through, I, I for sure they would turn the fence off. And I stepped <laughs> I stepped over it and uh, got a shock, and they all fell over laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and my fellow competitors were also laughing and took care to go under the fence instead of stepping over it. So wow. I, I saved a few people, but apparently I wasn't the first, and I'm sure I wasn't the last to uh, have that uh, shocking surprise. Who wants to sign up for a Spartan race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing, a good, I'm doing a great job selling uh, Spartan race, aren't I? 
Well, thank you both again for having me over and the wonderful food and just cheering me up before my big race tomorrow. And hopefully I'll see you out there on the course somewhere. You're welcome. Yeah, we'll yeah. see you in the rain tomorrow. Oh, right hopefully, hopefully you're keeping it together. But I'm still hoping the weather's going to change. You guys say that the weather can kind of just one minute, it could be different than the next. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. One minute it could be raining miserable. The next minute it could be snowing and even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We're going to go from hail to sleet to snow to electrocution of the groin. Yeah. yeah. Don't step <laughs> over the cow fences. In the rain. All right. Thanks, guys. So this marathon takes place in an area called the Wilderkaiser, the Wild Emperor Mountain Range. And it's just such a beautiful and dramatic place. Very popular ski place. And my race was actually part of a three-day series called the Tour de Tirol. The marathon was on October 5th, but the day before that they had a 10K. The day after they had a 23-kilometer trail run. But I was just there for the marathon. And this little town of Zol, it's just like this little ski village, which means... Just really easy to get around. You know, I parked at the hotel, walked over to where packet pickup was. Of course, it's probably beautiful every direction that you look. Oh, yeah. One thing that was just sort of haunting my thoughts the whole time was the weather. It was going to be 90% rain on the day of my race. I was really hoping for some sort of miracle and that, you know, because the weather can change so fast in the mountains. Perhaps the rain would dissipate and we'd have some sunshine, but it wasn't meant to be. So I went to bed that night just thinking, oh, man, tomorrow I'm going to get up and run in the miserable cold rain. But I'm reminded of this quote by Bill Bowerman. He said, there's no such thing as bad weather, just soft people. Ah, that's a good one. So I tried not to be too soft, and I got up the next morning. Thankfully, the race didn't start till 9.30. I had plenty of time to eat and contemplate the misery that was to be the next four or five hours of my life. So at the starting line, the rain didn't dampen the energy of the crowds that were there. There were still spectators. There were runners all decked out in gear. Now, this race uh, stipulated that you bring certain gear items with you because it was a rugged mountain marathon, right? Yeah, exactly. I actually signed up for it not knowing about all of this obligatory equipment, which is their exact words. Then later I went back on the website and found out that I needed to bring a pack with a rescue blanket, a whistle. When's the last time I've used a whistle? (laughs) (laughs) Gloves, a beanie, a rain jacket, a fully charged mobile phone with the race doctor's number pre-programmed into it. Wow, that's very specific. They didn't trigger your rebel tendencies? No, I actually had the stuff already, except for the emergency blanket, which my friend Franzi was kind enough to give me hers. They fold up really small. I mean, you th- Oh, yeah. It's like one of those space blankets they give you after a race, those aluminum heat sheets, right? Yeah. It's not like we're out there running with comforters around us. <laughs> that would have been nice, though. And the race started right on time. We began right there in the center of Zul and started running west along roads through beautiful green rolling pastures with grazing cows. And then we gradually climbed higher and higher up into the tree line and then ran in some trees kind of along trails for at least a little ways where we were sheltered from the rain because we were running in trees, which was nice. So in spite of the rain, the course was well supported. There were folks out cheering us on. It was well marked with little flags and uh, arrows that were spray painted on the ground. But the rain just kept pounding us 
and I was totally soaked, except for my socks. My feet were relatively still dry until about 14K when we had to run through some grass and mud, and then that just finished off the rest of my <laughs> dry feet. Your shoes were like, we cannot withstand this. You just had to laugh at it, how ridiculous it was. We're out here. Who's going to do this besides a bunch of crazy runners? <laughs> but my core was staying warm. Like my hands got a little cold, my feet, but my internal core was warm. So, and I actually felt really good. In fact, that first kilometer when we started, in spite of the rain, I thought, man, there's really nothing I'd rather be doing right now. This is awesome. That's a good mindset to carry you through the race. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes the clouds would shift. I'd get a view of the landscape, which is just mesmerizing. And even on a horrible day, I mean, the Alps is an awesome place to be. So we continue running up to where the ski resorts were. And I can tell this place in the wintertime has got to be just a ski paradise. And we're going and there's cable cars overhead. And we basically run up to cable car stations. And those are like, you know, the various aid stations. And one of these cable car stations at 35K was well known. It's called Hexenwasser, which means witch's water because it's all like themed according to witches and stuff. And there's like a water park there for kids in the summertime. And that was the point of the race where from there to the very top of the mountain, which is called the Hoa Salva, the top of this mountain where the last cable car stop is, that was where I was told the race is the steepest and the most brutal and in the rain it's just going to be muck. It was funny because as you're running, you could see these cable cars going by overhead and people, they're looking down at us and it must have been quite a pitiful sight. <laughs> like think about the worst weather that you wouldn't want to go out in and then watching people down below run around in that. I think that'd be a motivating sight. I'd be like, wow, here I am in the comfort of this cable car. And look at those people out there, you know, just pushing yeah. themselves to do hard things. I think your mind works differently than most, Andy. <laughs> so we ran along. The weather was getting colder. We finally got to kilometer 22. And I heard one of the workers say in German, Hexenwasser ist Ziel. Ziel is the word for finish. So he was saying that. The Hexenwasser aid station at 35K was where they're going to shut down the race. Oh, because the weather was so bad up the mountain? That's right. And then I heard all this grumbling from the Aww. fellow runners. So I got to tell you, though, that I was relieved because like, as far as my energy goes and my legs and everything, I could have made it to the Hoa Salva. But in terms of just the coldness and the misery, I was like, all right. Well, that's that's a blessing. <laughs> so you got to get to 35 kilometers and they shut the race down there for everyone. For everyone. And some people were more disappointed than others. Yeah, I think all of us were a little disappointed, but it just made sense. I mean, at that aid station where I heard that, you know, I still had 13 kilometers more to go. And the higher we're going, the more windy it is and the less protection we have from trees. And the wind is just cutting into us and we're all soaking wet. And my hands were just stiff. I couldn't even like fumble my phone out of the Ziploc bag to take a picture. Oh my. <laughs> so I'm guessing they, they're seeing runners come through with hypothermia possibly and maybe falling because it's so wet and slippery and they just had to decide to shut the race down. Yeah, I imagine. In fact, I did hear that some runners were pulled off course. <clears throat> okay, past the halfway point. But because of the weather, they closed the course. And this is what the race posted later on their Facebook page. That was extreme. Unbelievable what conditions the runners had to fight today. The rain and wind were very strong and cold on the mountain. And finally, for safety reasons, the organizers decided to reduce the course. Unfortunately, it didn't go quite to the Hoa Salva, but instead to Hexenwasser, which was the best solution for the weather today. Hats off to everyone who managed the extremely hard 
35K, and of course, not to forget, thanks to the helpers who also gave everything. And I got to say, I agree. I, I really appreciate all the helpers and volunteers who were just out there. And they were great. They were really helpful. The final aid stations had hot soup. Mm. And you know, something else that they have is their sports drink is called ISO. And sometimes they serve it to you hot. They warm it up. So kind of like imagine drinking warm Gatorade. It's not really my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not too big on the warm ISO. But the warm soup, that was money. So I had 13K more to finish before reaching the end, the new finish line for the race. And I thought to myself, oh, that's not bad. It's only eight miles. This will be easy. <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> yeah, we left the aid station and boom, immediately started going up uphill. And it was slow going, probably the longest 13K I can remember. Visibility was very low and I could see, you know, why they shut it down because runners are going to start getting lost in fact, because of the wind and the rain, those little tiny flags that marked the course were a lot of times just blown away and just washed away. And it was hard to tell exactly where to go because the runners are all stretched thin. And for a long time, I was just running by myself. And I'd come to a junction, and I wouldn't know if I was supposed to go left or keep running straight. So I just stopped and waited for another runner to catch up. So one time, this lady uh, was not far behind me. She caught up, and I'm like, which way? She says, I don't know. <laughs> so we had to wait for other runners who had done the race before and knew which way to go. So I finally made it to Hexenwasser. And as I approached the finish line, I saw my new friends, Dominique and Tony, who actually came to the race to cheer me on. They brought their two boys with them. They have an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. And these are some folks that listen to the podcast and reached out when they heard I was going to be at this race. And we actually had dinner together the night before. Just an awesome family. And the fact that they came to cheer me on in the rain, and they even brought hot soup. Wow. It just made what could have been a terrible day, it made it really special. We have the best listeners in the world. I know. <laughs> they were like angels sent to help me. <laughs> so I crossed the finish line. It took me four hours, 49 minutes, and 50 seconds to get to 35-kilometer mark, and they still gave us medals. And I'm going to display mine with pride. I feel like I really earned it. However, I I've decided not to count this as an official marathon uh, in my race tally. And that also means I'll have to come back to Austria and get revenge at another <laughs> marathon. How did I know that was coming? <laughs> <laughs> so I changed out of my wet clothes, got some food, boarded a cable car with the help of Dominique and Tony, and rode back down to the bottom. And, they, and uh, we got in their car and they gave me a ride back to where I was parked. And then later we met up for a nice dinner at a traditional Austrian restaurant. I slept very soundly that night. And the next day, when it was time for me to leave, guess what? The weather was nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, folks. That's the Kaiser Marathon in Zul Österreich. That was the time I almost ran a marathon in Austria. let's get now to the big story, and that is Angie's recap of the Hartford Marathon in Hartford, Connecticut, her 60th marathon, and her fastest. How do you do that? I don't even know. There's a lot to talk about, Angie, a lot to unpack, and we'll try to extract some tips and stuff for you guys when it comes to racing and setting PRs. Before we do that, we'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, New Knee. If you guys are dealing with knee pain, especially if that pain's like concentrated right under your kneecap, Definitely check out the new knee device. 
Yeah, maybe you've tried rest, wraps, straps, other remedies, and your knee pain has persisted. And the Nuni is a great solution that can get you back to running without knee pain. It's a running innovation designed to provide immediate relief of runner's knee symptoms. And runners from all over the world are getting relief with this device. And Nuni was actually designed by an Ironman triathlete named Mike Emerling. And it came as a result of his own five-year struggle with runner's knee. He was unable to get relief from other remedies, so he came up with his own patented solution. Nuni's unique design relieves the pressure that each stride places on your kneecap. And research reveals if you relieve the pressure, you'll relieve the pain. So today it's Mike's mission to help active adults and runners like you enjoy running again without pain. Let the new knee device help you finish your season or get a head start on the next season. Don't run with knee pain, run with new knee. You can order today at newneeshop.com. That's N-U-N-E-E shop.com and receive a special end of the season discount. When you use the code MTA20, you'll get 20% off. Once again, newneeshop.com and use the code MTA20. All right. So Angie, what can you tell us about the Hartford Marathon? Yes, I was so excited to be able to travel to Hartford, Connecticut to run the 26th edition of the marathon and half marathon. And I've been hearing so many good things about this race for many years. So it's kind of been one of those that has been on my list. And of course, as I get near the end of my 50 state quest, I decided we need to schedule this one in and it ended up being my 47th state. So kind of getting up there a bit. Uh, the race is actually a nonprofit, and they raise about $7.5 for charity. Must be a big marathon. It is. Yeah, it's a decent-sized marathon. They've got the marathon, the half marathon. They've got a 5K, and then they also have a kids' race. So they've pretty much got something for everyone. My A goal going into this race was to break 330. That's something that has been a goal of mine for many years now. My B goal going in was to PR. So that would have been faster than three hours, 35 minutes, 41 seconds. My previous PR was set back at my ninth marathon in 2012. So that thing was dusty. <laughs> <laughs> and then my C goal was to BQ, which would be less than 340 for my age group. And of course, my D goal then was just to run my very best. What kind of goal nerd are you? <laughs> Got like the whole alphabet here. <laughs> anyway, I believe in having multi-layered goals going into an event because yeah. you just don't know how the day is going to go. You don't know how all the factors are going to come together. But like I said, I've been visualizing breaking 330 for the past several months. So when you said you visualize this, what are you talking about? Okay, so based on how my training went, I knew that I had 330 in me at some point if all the necessary factors would come together. I'd initially thought, I'm going to try to break 330 in Hawaii, this downhill course, you know, that's um, coming up in January. But everything was going really well, and I thought, you know, why not try? A lot of people know that I do 20 minutes of meditation every morning, and at the end of my meditation session, I do several affirmations. And one of those things is, I am a sub-330 marathoner. Like you say that to yourself out loud? I say that to myself, yes. Um, and then also for a few, I would say maybe three weeks before the race, before I would go to sleep at night, I would visualize the finishing clock saying 320-something. Hmm. I wanted to see that on the clock. You want to see a three and a two. And I wanted to see it on my watch. So that was like the two things that I was visualizing. And, you know, I was nervous because I know any time that I have a goal, especially something that feels really challenging, there's a lot of anxiety and nerves that goes into that. And I know a lot of listeners will feel the same way. And we can talk about this a little bit later. 
But I try to tell myself every time I acknowledge the nerves that I'm just excited to see what I can do. Kind of just channeled that anxiety into excitement. I was kind of reframing it in my mind. That's a good idea. So I had to drive to this marathon by myself because you were just coming back from Austria. So my mom stayed with our kids for the little gap that we were both going to be gone. But it went really smoothly. The expo was well set up. Got my bib, got my corral seating sticker on the bib. And then I walked around some. And of course, I had to stop by the Generation You Can booth to see our friend Katie. And like she always does, she says, we have so many of your listeners come up and say that they heard of us on your podcast. And uh, she just said, your listeners are awesome. (laughs) Speaking of which, I think we can tell you guys this now. Angie is doing a live event with Generation You Can at the New York City Marathon on November 1st. So it'll be Friday. Marathon's on a Sunday. And it's going to be a live podcast episode with our friend Tina Muir and Carrie Tollefson before the New York City Marathon. And we have links to register for this event. It's free on our website. So if you're going to be in New York City, November 1st, you want to come out, say hi. You want to come hear Marathon Stories, I think is what the the theme of the talk is going to be. It's a live podcast episode in front of a live audience with our fellow podcasters. Come out for that November 1st and check out more info on our website. And they do have limited seating. So if you are thinking that you want to go, make sure that you get on there and register. That's right. All right. So it sounds like you stayed close to downtown so you can just walk to the starting line, which is a smart thing to do, right? That's right. So the race started at 8 a.m. the next morning. The starting line area is right kind of in Bushnell Park. It's close to the state capitol um, and the Bushnell building and the state library and Supreme Court. So a lot of old historic buildings down in that area. And I headed over and got into my corral, which was for runners who had posted a sub four marathon time. Then I went to the very front of that corral because a 330 pace group was up there. And honestly, I felt kind of like a fraud being up there. But I knew if I wanted to attempt breaking 330, that's where I needed to be. I had to give myself every advantage. So I just stood there in faith that I was in the right place. Do you remember what Coach Dominique told Bill, who we gave a shout out to? Yeah, sometimes you have to take calculated risks or something like that. If you want to set a PR. That's right. So that was kind of what I was doing there. Um, I was like right behind the A corral and right in front of that were the elites and of course the wheelchair athletes. So it was weird being that far up. (laughs) But I knew if conditions all came together that I had to give it a shot. Um, And of course, like I said, I had a lot of nerves, but I kept telling myself I was just excited and that I was prepared to give it my best. Another blessing was that the weather was absolutely perfect for a marathon. It started out in the low 50s, and I think it got up to maybe the low 60s by the end of the race. And it was mostly overcast out, a little bit of wind, but really couldn't ask for a better day to run. All right, so let's talk about the course at the Hartford Marathon. What was that like? Well, the marathon and half marathon course split pretty quickly, which I felt was a really good thing to reduce congestion. They also had several marathon relay exchange points along the course, and then the 5K had a different course. So it was really well compartmentalized, it seemed like. One of our listeners told me that the half marathon course is more scenic than the marathon course, but... That's usually how it is. Yeah, it's it's hard to find only scenic sections for 26.2 miles. And really, I thought the marathon course was really nice, too. We ran along the Connecticut River and near Riverside Park in the Great River Park for a stretch. We also went out into some nice neighborhoods, some really old historic houses. People had Halloween decorations up. And then, of course, the fall foliage was beautiful. So there was a lot of 
beauty to look at, you know, so I didn't think we were suffering too much for those of us running the marathon. The half marathon had a time limit of three hours and the marathon time limit was six hours. There seemed to be quite a few turns in the first few miles, but the course was well marked. And like I said, it didn't seem like it was too narrow. Sometimes you feel like they're funneling you into these really narrow turns and it didn't feel like that at all. Then they had an out and back section from about mile 13, and there was a turnaround just after mile 17. So I was prepared. I knew that was there. Sometimes if you're not prepared for an out and back, it can kind of seem a little bit monotonous. And an out and back can be a nice way to kind of feed off the energy of other runners. Because on the way out, of course, I was seeing all the really fast elite runners coming in the other direction. And then when I made the turn, then I got to see other people, you know, and a lot of people are very encouraging Um, I wore my Marathon Maniac shirt, so maniacs usually shout each other out on the course and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a great chance to smile at people, which, of course, smiling helps make your effort feel easier when you're out in a marathon. Yeah, if you watch Kipchoge, even in his sub-two run there, he smiles at the end, you know, last couple kilometers. Yeah, there's a lot of research that just even having your face up in the smiling position Even if you just put a stick between your teeth to force your face up like that, it just helps your body uh, see it as less effort. And so it seems easier. Now, the course advertises as having some rolling hills, and there were some definite hills out there. The hills at mile 17 and mile 25 felt the most challenging. But fortunately, we have tons of hills where we live. And so I train on those and it set me up for being able to stay strong at the Hartford Marathon course hills. So that was nice. The Hartford Marathon was really well organized. They had frequent aid stations along the course. They had, of course, water. They had noon energy drink and some with gels. And I saw later they estimate that they give out over 11,000 gels during the course of their half marathon and marathon. Yeah, but do they serve the energy drinks warm? They do not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think many people would have known what to do with that. (laughs) They even had an aid station stocked with candy near the end. But of course, I was on a tear to get to the finish line and didn't even stop for candy. But the really cool thing is that the Hartford Marathon works really hard to make the event as environmentally friendly as possible. Um, they also said that over 29,000 volunteer hours were wow. donated to make this event possible. And the volunteers that I interacted with were all very helpful and encouraging. So shout out to everyone who volunteers at races. So I got a question. When you are trying to stay on pace... Do you just run by and just grab a cup, not even walk? What did you do when you're trying to stay on pace like that? Well, I was carrying my own fuel. I carry the UCAN snack bars, and I just take water from aid stations. So, yeah, you stay on pace pretty much. I mean, maybe slow just a little bit. But the volunteers, you know, they're usually standing with their arm out. And so you just figure out, you know, which section you want to grab from and then just kind of make eye contact with that volunteer. And you can kind of like reach out your hand in advance so they kind of know that you're coming for their cup. And then what I do is once I grab it, I pinch the top of the cup so the water is not splashing out the top and it kind of creates a smaller hole to drink. And then, of course, try to hit the trash can as you blaze through. (laughs) Angie's Marathon Cup Strategies. That's right. So you didn't walk at all? I didn't walk at all, no. So you mentioned your fueling. You've been using Generation You Can for many, many races. Um, did you use it at the Hartford Marathon as well? Yeah, that's right. I had a You Can bar pre-race as part of my breakfast. And then I carried two bars with me and I 
usually either eat like a third to a half at certain intervals during the race, of course, washed down with water at the aid stations. And then I also took a few caffeinated chews that I used in the last few miles just to boost my energy, mm-hmm. give me a little more oomph to uh, power through the later miles. So yeah, it was a great combination. I felt felt really good. And we appreciate Generation Can being a faithful sponsor of this podcast. We were actually using their products, though, even before they were sponsors. We just believe in them so much. And if you want to give them a try, they make a super starch formula you can mix in water. gives you a nice slow release of energy. Or they make, like Angie was talking about, these snack bars, which is usually what we carry now because we just like the taste of them so much. Go to GenerationYouCan.com. Use the code MTAHartford because this is the Hartford Marathon recap, and you can get 15% off of your order. That's generationucan.com and use the code MTA Hartford. And by the way, if you are a first-time customer, use the code MTA25 for 25% off. Nice. So it sounds like your fueling strategy worked well, your marathon extreme cup pinching strategy. (laughs) You had all of this figured out, and there was no slowing you down. I've done this a couple times before, so... (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Along the course, they also had quite a few bands and DJs playing music. They also seemed to have some reliable pace groups out on the course. Like I mentioned, I started just in front of the 330 pace group, and my goal was to stay in front of them as long as possible. And then when they passed me, I was just going to hang on for everything I was worth if if that was possible for me on that day. Um, So they ended up catching up to me about mile 25. And after that, I just stayed glued to that pacer's shoulder and then was able to pass them in the final stretch. So the finish line went right under the Veterans Memorial Arch. It's a very iconic building. They actually have it on the medal as well. And the street was lined with 500 autumn mum plants. So very colorful decorations. And there were tons of cheering spectators. Apparently, they had a rotating cast of six announcers calling finishers' names for six continuous hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a big job. They had 1,493 marathon finishers and 3,710 people finished the half marathon. The post-race area is in Bushnell Park, which has lovely walkways. They have an antique carousel over there. And there was a ton going on post-race. It was kind of a party atmosphere. They had a live band. They had a beer garden, which you would have liked. Uh, they had a great food area and lots of food choices. And the medal is awesome, too. It has the capital on it, the veteran's arch, and it kind of has a stained glass look behind it. It is so a very nice medal. Yeah, it's a beautiful medal. So what was your official finishing time? It was 3 hours, 29 minutes, and 32 seconds. So you qualified for Boston by over 10 minutes. I did, yeah. I think you're going to get in 2021. I'm I'm pretty confident. (laughs) Yeah, and I PR'd by 6 minutes and 9 seconds. And the last time you PR'd was 51 marathons ago. Yeah. (laughs) Good (laughs) things come to those who wait or something like that. (laughs) All right, so we need to unpack this. Let's go back. What was your training like leading up to this, and how did you feel? Well, I knew that my training indicated that I could have a really good marathon in Hartford if everything came together. I'd had a strong training cycle. Um, After the Charlevoix Marathon in June, I took July and August pretty much off from a strict training schedule. I was still running. I was still strength training, but I didn't follow any kind of schedule or, you know, put pressure on myself to do a certain number of miles or anything. September 1st, I ramped up my training again, had a really strong month of September, going into October, was looking really good, right up until, of course, the taper, which can give people trouble. So about 10 days before the race, I started feeling really fatigued 
and kind of having symptoms like I felt like I was coming down with a cold. Now I tried not to panic because I was like, oh, this stuff can happen in the taper. And I was doing everything though I could think of to feel better. I was like going to bed earlier. I was drinking lemon water and, you know, all sorts of supplements and just really trying to support my body in every way I could. I just thought, this is so weird. Why am I getting sick here? Then I realized that it was fall allergies because our son also deals with allergies and he was kind of going through the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is allergies. Well, okay. Then I also knew that my period was scheduled to start on marathon day, which for the ladies out there who have had to deal with things like that, that's kind of like a wild card. It's definitely not something that you want interrupting your race, especially if you're going to try to PR. There are just, you know, some things that you can control, other things you just kind of have to roll with. So that was a wild card. And, you know, the week before your period, often you kind of feel a little bit bloated and just not the greatest. But I was still trying to stay positive. Two core values that I have that I've really been meditating on lately were gratitude and courage. And I think each person will apply gratitude in different ways. And all of us have different ways that we can be more courageous. But I really wanted to bring those two elements into the marathon with me and do the best that I could. You know, I wanted to walk away at the end of the day and just be proud of myself no matter what happened. It's good stuff. So I felt good on race morning. My period didn't start until that night. So dodged a bullet there. <laughs> and I was cautiously optimistic about a PR. The night before the marathon, I was on Instagram and I saw a post by David Goggins. And I had read his book this summer, Can't Hurt Me. And he was heading over to the Moab 240, which is like a crazy 240-mile trail race. And he said something to the effect that you have to recertify as a badass. Now I'm modifying the language here because <laughs> it was a lot more colorful. He was relating it to in most professions, you have to recertify periodically to keep up with the current knowledge, you know, to make sure that you're on the cutting edge and, and know what you're doing. And he was saying that we can't rest on past achievements. We need to keep proving to ourselves so we can do hard things. So I was like, yes, that is, that's an awesome mindset to take into my race tomorrow. And then when I woke up in the morning, I saw that Elliot Kipchoge ran 159.40 in Vienna. And that was so inspiring because I just, I just think he's such an amazing runner, just his attitude. He just seems so zen. Um, also on my race ready ID, which I wear on my watch, it's like a safety feature. I put the mantra, keep pushing which I used that mantra during the Charlevoix Marathon, and it really helped me. And so that's exactly what I decided to do. I decided not to settle back and get comfortable on any mile. I really wanted to stay relaxed, but to stay grateful and be courageous. And so I really focused hard on keeping my self-talk positive. Um, for example, if I was going up a hill, I'd say something like, it's a good thing you trained on hills, or this hill is smaller than the ones back home. You know, <laughs> kind of like... To put it into perspective. I eat hills like candy. That's right. I didn't want to get to the end of the race and, you know, miss my goal and be like, oh, I wish I hadn't walked that hill or I wish I hadn't slacked off kind of thing. And I specifically look for beauty around me, which wasn't hard considering the fall foliage in New England. It was, it was beautiful. And if I felt my focus drifting, I brought my attention back to the present and just told myself to have courage and, you know, stay in the moment because it's, it's interesting how easily your mind wants to dissociate. And if you're really pursuing a specific goal, you really can't let yourself just drift off because you'll find often that your pace kind of slacks off hmm. if you let your mind kind of drift away. 
And obviously it looks slightly different to keep pushing depending on what mile you're in because you don't want to push your effort too hard in the early miles. You know, you don't want to be redlining it in the first half of a marathon. You want to really want to keep your effort comfortably hard, keep that steady, sustainable pace. Did you have to kind of hold yourself back in the first half? No, I didn't. I just really let myself flow. I just really tried to stay relaxed, um, to keep pushing, but not going hard. It's kind of hard to explain. I was just basically going by effort. So you can kind of tell with your breathing. I didn't want to strain. I didn't want my breathing or my heart rate to get too high. I just really wanted to flow and stay relaxed and steady in those first few miles. But you were also watching your pace, right? I actually only looked at my watch when it would buzz at each mile. Okay. So I didn't want to get obsessed with my pace either and start worrying because I really wanted to just listen to my body and do the best I could that day. So yeah, I would get the information. Mile one, it was like a 736 mile, mile two. And a few times I would think, oh, that's a little bit fast, but I feel good. I feel relaxed. I feel comfortable. It's going to be okay. <laughs> And of course, it gets significantly harder to keep pushing and and to keep your mind focused as the miles increase. I knew I'd have to keep my pace at eight-minute miles to break 330. So, you know, those earlier miles when I was sub-eight minutes, I I was okay with that because I knew there might be a few miles that I would go over eight-minute miles and that would kind of all even out in the end. Um, So, you know, like I said, I didn't really want to obsess about my pace or my splits or be like glued to my watch, but instead just really make it about effort instead. And about mile 23, I knew that if I held the pace and nothing went wrong, (laughs) which is always in the back of my mind, I'd be able to break 3.30. And then that 3.30 pacer caught up to me at mile 25, which coincided with like this final tough hill. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to let this hill defeat me. I'm just going to hang on for everything I'm worth. (laughs) But how tired were you feeling at that point? I actually was not feeling that tired. It's, It's interesting. Like I had enough adrenaline, I think. Just the excitement of knowing that you could break 330, something that you'd visualized for so long. And one of the things I kind of always tell myself is that I'm stronger after mile 20. Like just getting to mile 20 is like the transportation before the race starts. (laughs) (laughs) And that last 10K is when you really have to dig deep and push often. I really didn't have to pull that mantra out because mile 20, mile 22, I was still feeling pretty good. And I was able to pass that pacer and accelerate in the final stretch, feeling good. Um, I couldn't wait to see 329 on the clock. And of course, I was just throughout the whole marathon, I just felt really grateful to be running my 60th marathon and feel strong and healthy. You know, I just kind of of chuckled to myself, like, no matter what time I finish in today, this will be my 60th marathon. That's that's pretty cool. It is. If I do say so myself. (laughs) It is really cool. So when I crossed that finish line, I just felt really emotional. I just felt so grateful. Of course, it was awesome to meet my goal of breaking 330 and getting that PR. So, And I had just landed at JFK coming back from Germany, and you called me and told me that you broke 330, and you sounded so happy. I think that was the happiest phone call we've ever had. <laughs> Yeah, I I was like, oh, I'd have to tell somebody, (laughs) someone who understands what this means to me. And then actually, I got to see um, MTA member Shira, who had run the half marathon, and her husband, Chris, they were at the finish line. He got a good picture of me. Yeah, they were cheering me on. They got a good picture of me. And then I got to see Joe, another um, one of our members who was there. So it was really fun to kind of share that experience with them and just the excitement of the finish line. But it was really kind of amusing because 
you know, I'm like sprinting the last stretch to the finish line. And then you get into the finisher shoot and you start walking. Like right after I started walking through the finishers area, my body started seizing up. Like I had this terrible foot cramp. I was like finding it hard to walk. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I went from 60 to like zero and it was, it was not pretty, but I still couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I'm like, I don't care how rotten I feel now. This is awesome. (laughs) So this was not this was not easy or a walk in the park. I mean, you kind of make it sound like everything just came together magically, but it sounds like you were kind of hurting at the end. Oh, yeah, I was. I mean, no marathon is comfortable. Right. I will say that. I mean, there's definitely a certain amount of dissociation you have to do from your body when you're doing a marathon. Acknowledge that the discomfort and then move on. Yeah. Because if you start obsessing about, oh, I feel like, you know, this is kind of cramping or, or, you know, maybe my foot or my shoe is tied too tight, which was an issue that I had. You know, there's a lot of things that could totally derail your thought process, but I really wanted to keep myself focused and keep myself positive. So anytime, you know, I felt one of those sensations of discomfort, I really just told myself, have courage stay focused, keep pushing, you've got this, you know, just whatever I could think of in the moment to keep myself positive. I love it. And then later that afternoon, I got to celebrate further, we had a small MTA meetup at a local brewery. And this was where a local running club, the Manchester Running Club was meeting as well. So it was kind of a big, loud environment, lots of people celebrating their races and big marathon love fest. That's right. So it was wonderful to meet up with a listener named Caitlin. She was there with her family. She did the marathon relay. And then of course, there was Joe from Wisconsin did the half marathon. And then Shira and her husband, Chris, um, she did the half marathon. And then I got to meet up with another listener named David who heads up the running club. So it was fun to just kind of rehash everyone's experience and celebrate together. Well, Angie, congrats on running your 60th marathon and earning that massive PR. Keep up the good work. We expect much more from you now. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is great. Well, in just a second, Angie's going to run through some tips on how to prepare yourself to PR at your marathon, especially as a master's runner. Before we do that, we'd like to give a quick word of thanks to this episode sponsor, Tiger Balm Active. You need to get Tiger Balm Active Muscle Spray. It's great for those hard-to-reach areas, and it will provide instant cooling sensation and relief to those sore and painful muscles, especially, you know, after a hard run like Angie's Hartford Marathon. Yeah, I was so sore for a couple of days, so this really came in handy. I was able to ease the process through my marathon recovery. What I like about it is it's non-greasy. It's easy to take with me when I'm traveling for a marathon, and it goes to work right away. I mean, you can just feel like the cooling and warming sensation soaking into your muscles. Of course, Trevor talked about the Tiger Balm Active Muscle Spray, which is really convenient to get hard to reach places, but they also have the Tiger Balm Active Muscle Rub, which is perfect for a pre-workout to warm up your muscles. And they also have the Tiger Balm Active Muscle Gel, which is great for after your long run or marathon. So go to your local Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS store today to pick up the Tiger Balm Active products. That's Tiger Balm Active, available at your local Rite Aid, Walgreens, or CVS. All right, so going a little deeper into deconstructing your run, Angie, and maybe some tips that we can share for folks when it comes to running a PR and especially doing that as a master's runner because at the time of this recording, you are 41. 40. I'll be 41 soon. (laughs) 
That's right. Next month, it'll be 41. And we know that a lot of people have a goal of running a PR. And this could be a multi-year process, too. I mean, like you heard Angie say, it's been a long time since she has run a PR, like seven years. That's right. Of course, you've done a lot of races. Many of those races were not for time. They were for other goals. Some of them were not conducive to running fast. (laughs) But you set your sights back on running fast and getting a PR. And even though you're older now than you were, you're probably training smarter. You know, you got your nutrition dialed in more thanks to MetPro, which you guys have heard us talk about in the podcast. They are metabolism geniuses. Uh, In fact, we wanted to bring our nutrition coach on also in this episode just to kind of deconstruct Angie's nutrition component for earning her PR. But Angie, let's go ahead and get into some tips for running a PR, especially as a master's runner. Yeah. So no matter what your age, I think the first thing you need to do is to build a solid foundation. So don't rush the process. If you're looking to PR, make sure that you have that solid running base and you're injury free before you decide to start ramping up your training. So that's like a recommendation, no matter how many years you've been running, how many races you've done, what your age is, have that solid foundation in place. It's actually surprising how many people we hear from, a lot of runners will email us with something to the effect of, I just started running again, I've got a marathon in 12 weeks, and I want to meet this aggressive time goal. Like, how do I do that? You know, so it's like, I see a lot of people who are trying to rush or take shortcuts And it usually doesn't end up very well. I mean, there's a few very talented runners who just, you know, seems like they never get injured and the stars are all aligned for them. But I would say that most people probably in the listening audience don't necessarily feel like running or long distance running comes super easy to them. Yeah, we have seen folks, whether it's listeners of the podcast or members of the academy who have been able to qualify for Boston at their first marathon, but that's generally not the case. Right. And in fact, I remember, Angie, when you made it your goal to qualify for Boston, uh, the first time you did it, we had a friend who runs Boston every year, and he said that it took him 10 or 12 times of trying to qualify before he was able to do it. Right. So, you know, I always applaud people who have big, audacious goals. I think that's great. But you have to realize that you have to put in the time to reach those goals. You know, so sometimes people's short-term goals maybe need to be more like medium or long-range goals if they really want to get the results and, you know, not break themselves in the process. (laughs) Yeah, there's a great quote by Tony Robbins. And this one gets me a lot because sometimes my sense of time gets warped in my goal setting. But Tony Robbins says, Most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So for things like big running goals, you know, it may take a little bit longer than you think, but that's okay. You know, just don't rush the process. For most people, we have to be smart about our training and, you know, also just put in a lot of hard work. People are thinking, but in 10 years from now, I'll be too old to run fast. But look at Angie. She's already turning gray. and She runs fast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm embracing the gray hair. Yeah. I mean, the time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well be working toward a goal in a safe way and just focus on building that solid foundation first before you demand more out of your body. I mean, I know personally my goal is to be a strong and healthy runner for life. That's going to inform how I train. That's going to inform my daily lifestyle. Because I don't want to take shortcuts. You know, I want to I want to feel good in my daily life and I want to enjoy this as well. So yeah, don't rush the process. So tip number one, build a solid foundation. The meta goal is to be a strong, healthy person, a strong, healthy runner for life. Yeah, that's right. Okay, number two. 
Yeah, that kind of dovetails into the second one is to love the process, which is really another way of saying don't forget the boring stuff. (laughs) Success in long distance running often comes down to what you do behind the scenes. And this has been one huge key to how I've been able to run 60 marathons and make progress toward my time goals. So the boring stuff is going to look different for everyone. You know, we all have those areas. You can probably think of them right now that you really struggle to keep in place, to stay diligent with. So one big thing that I talk about a lot, I'm going to talk about strength training. I just think it's such a huge component to being a strong and healthy runner for life and to make progress toward a PR. I actually started strength training regularly during a period of injury. I was having a lot of trouble with hamstring issues. And it turns out that if you strengthen your glutes, among other areas, it will keep your hamstrings a lot happier. (laughs) You may have to trick yourself into doing it by just realizing it's going to make you a stronger marathoner. Whatever it takes to get it done, maybe it means signing up with a trainer, maybe it means going through a strength training program, having an accountability, someone you're going to meet at the gym. Strength training is huge. Another important area is recovery. So things like quality sleep massage and foam rolling, Uh, not racing too frequently if you're going for a PR is a big one as well. How many days a week do you strength train? I aim for three days a week, but you know, some weeks it gets busy. And if I do two quality strength training workouts a week, I'm, I'm happy with that. So two to three. Another thing is keeping your easy runs truly easy so that you have the energy and you have the stamina to hit the paces on speed work days and on long run days. All those things work together to keep you running strong and healthy. And of course, we mentioned another, another big behind the scenes area to reaching your running goals is nutrition. Fueling your body well is key to getting a lot out of yourself. You got to think of yourself as an athlete and feed yourself for performance. And yes, food is meant to be enjoyed. I definitely enjoy food a lot. (laughs) So there's definitely a balance. But dialing in your nutrition is so important, especially to help you build muscle and to lose fat if that's one of your goals. We all have particular areas within the realm of fueling that we need to work on. For some people, it means cutting back on sugar and processed foods. Maybe it means cutting back on alcohol. Maybe eating more vegetables is something you need to work on. Maybe it's increasing your protein intake. Um, For some people, it may mean letting go of restrictive eating patterns and truly getting the calories that they need to get stronger and reduce the chance of injury. So everyone has different issues and needs when it comes to nutrition and fueling. Probably all of us maybe have a little bit of an idea what we need to dial in, but it's such a key thing to being able to run strong and healthy. So when it comes to loving the process, you're saying try to love things that right now you find boring, like the strength training, core, cross training, all that stuff, foam rolling. Going to bed early. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're seeing yourself as an athlete and also fueling your body as an athlete. So love the process of eating healthy. Yeah, it's, it's like more about the journey than the destination. I mean, the destination is awesome. It feels great to set a marathon PR. But if you don't enjoy the journey, and if you can't integrate those quote unquote boring things into your life and learn to at least appreciate those things, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to get where you want to go. It's like, you know, you don't want to make yourself miserable, just have this goal, but feeling like your daily life is completely miserable just because you have this goal out there. It's, you're probably not going to have the endurance to reach the goal if you can't find ways to love the process. Yeah, that's a good point because it's not like now that you've reached this goal, you're like, oh man, that's over with. I'm exhausted. Let's go back to- I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to how I normally live. 
like this right here is how you normally live. You, you see yourself as an athlete, you treat your body as an athlete and you love it. So somehow you've been able to develop those systems and those processes for yourself and that identity that really fuels you and energizes you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I love having races on the calendar and that can help drive me to live a healthier life. But I really have fallen in love with things like strength training. Um, I, I feel like that's something that I used to hate and dread, but I really have come to love because I love what it does for my body and things like going to bed early and getting quality sleep. I love to go to bed early. <laughs> I love to drink water and I, you know, I love to eat healthy and, you know, I found ways to integrate all these things so that they make my daily life better. And of course, then they make the marathon process better too. Point number three is the mindset stuff. Yes. And I really want to park on mindset for a moment because I feel like it's so important. Your attitude and your thought process can either make or break your PR goals. If we spend time thinking about why we can't do something, then it's probably not going to happen. You're going to find all these obstacles and reasons why you can't do it. But if we think of all the ways that we can make our goals happen, they're more likely to be achieved. And it's just like we spend time on physical training I really encourage people to spend time on their mental training as well. Um, Just in some way, every day, focus on strengthening your mindset. That may be finding good mantras. It may be doing regular meditation. It may be visualizing the goals that you want. It may be doing daily affirmations. It'll look different for every person. But if you don't practice mindset, it's not going to magically come through for you when you need it the most. You really have to work on it in advance. Um, For example, I meditate 20 minutes every morning. And I talked about earlier, at the end of each session, I do some positive affirmations that I go through. Now, each person's affirmations are going to be a bit different. They'll be unique to them and their goals. But as an example, I say, I am healthy, I am strong, I am a sub-330 marathoner. Those are actual examples of three things that I say to myself every morning. Yeah, we've actually talked to quite a few elite runners on the podcast who do similar things, similar mental training, visualization practices. You know, Ryan Hall comes to mind. So yeah, there's definitely something to it. And it feels a bit weird at first to speak of your goals as if they've already happened. But we must remember that goals start with a belief and then they become thoughts and then you put them into action. Of course, these goals have to be within the realm of possibility. No matter how much I meditate or visualize, I'm not going to be breaking the women's world record in the marathon, <laughs> no matter how much positive mindset I have. And then, so you, you do this preparation before race day. And then when it actually comes down to your race where you're trying to PR, really work hard on staying focused and keeping your mindset positive. And it's really key that you control the catastrophic thinking that can happen during a race and really try to stay in the present. I'll give you a couple examples of catastrophic thinking that I had to reel back during the Hartford Marathon. So after crossing a timing mat, I didn't hear a beep, and I was starting to worry that my bib didn't have the tracking chip on it and that my race wouldn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was racking my brain like, did I look at the back of my bib to see if it had a timing chip? And I was feeling my bib like I didn't feel any lumps. And I thought, well, maybe it wasn't activated. So like all this is going through my head as I'm running. And I just had to deliberately throw that thought out of my head. I just had to say, no, everything's going to be fine. Just keep running your best. Your bib is fine. I think I would have felt my bib a little more to make sure (laughs) it was on there. But then again, like what can you do? Exactly. You're in the middle of the marathon. Uh, You just have to press forward. It's like you can go find a tracking chip somewhere. (laughs) Can I borrow yours? Right. 
Another time I started to feel a slight cramping twinge in my left hamstring. And of course my mind's like going to the worst case scenario that it's going to go into a full blown cramp and I'll be limping and like dragging my leg behind me as I'm trying to finish this marathon. (laughs) You know, like your mind can go to some dark places. That was another thing I just had to totally throw out of my mind. I just had to say, it's fine. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling relaxed. My legs are just fine. My hamstring is just fine. I just, I had to remind myself not to borrow trouble and tell myself that I was strong. And of course, throughout the race, I was also worrying that the 330 pace group would leave me in the dust. (laughs) And I had to deliberately push that thought out of my head and just focus on running strong in the present. Like I couldn't worry about that because there's just some things that are out of your control. And your bib did have a chip in it. It did have a chip, yes. So good news there. And my hamstring did not betray me until after the race. No. Well, you know, when I was at the Kaiser Marathon, we started in the little town, crossed the start line, ran out, you know, seven or eight kilometers, and then ran back into town and crossed the start line in the reverse direction again. Wow. And like went through cheering crowds. And I thought, uh... Did I stumble into the wrong race? Is this an 8K? (laughs) It was just a little weird. I think that was the only catastrophizing going on in my head. Right. And then there's some things that are just outside of your control. Like you couldn't control that they were going to shut down the race at 35 kilometers. So maybe you have your own things that go through your head when you're running a half marathon or marathon. Maybe you can't relate to any of these scenarios. But everyone's going to have those dark thoughts that enter their head that try to crowd out their focus. And you really have to deliberately reel back your mind, bring your focus to the present, and just do the best you can in that moment. So point number one, build a strong foundation. Number two, love the process. Number three, definitely work on your mindset before your race. And number four is what, Angie? Enlist help and support. So if you find yourself running into that proverbial wall over and over again with your goals, it's important to seek help. We often learn and grow best in a community, and we all need support at times. And the kind of support that you need is going to vary from runner to runner. It may involve following through with a training plan if you haven't in the past. If you tried to wing it in the past, maybe following a training plan is what you need to do. Maybe it will involve joining a local running group or finding a running partner who can challenge you. It might mean joining a running community like the Academy or getting a running coach Really, the bottom line is there's no shame in needing help. Um, As an example, about a year ago, I started getting help from a nutrition coach at MetPro to deal with a stubborn weight gain that I just could not get rid of on my own. And this was really a turning point in my health and fitness. And it's one of the keys to where I am today with my running. Yeah, it's such an amazing thing because it's not like you have just recently started, you know, training seriously. I mean, as long as... I've known you. You've just been a faithful person to exercise. You just love it. And in those years when you were dealing with your hormone imbalance, I know it was so frustrating because you were getting slower and slower, even though in your heart you wanted to run faster and faster. So to give you guys kind of a look into Angie's nutrition strategy going into this race and the concept of up adjusting before a race, we have Natalie Mason from MetPro. She's a wonderful person and coach and through MetPro's nutrition coaching, Angie, you've been able to lose how many pounds so far? 32. So awesome. Okay, here's our conversation with Natalie. All right. Well, now joining us, we have Natalie Mason from MetPro, who has become a friend, even though we've not met in person. Yet. 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 <laughs> we will meet, though, in Hawaii, hopefully, right, at Angie's very last marathon in a 50-state quest, because you're going to be there. 
Yeah, I am so excited to celebrate and race as well. Not the full, the half. Yeah, I'm doing the half too. We should race. I know. We better, will race. You better get ready. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm a maniac when it comes to running down hills. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping for a PR. So let's do this. What's your, what's your half PR now? 149. Oh, oh, Trevor, you've got your more cut out for you. Yeah, I think you're going to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> but mine's not far from that. So Anyway, it'll be a friendly, a friendly competition. Yeah, no, it's going to be awesome to celebrate and lots of things to celebrate to me in person and number 50. So Natalie, you have been invaluable in helping me dial in my nutrition and get some weight off that had been stuck for a long time. And so for people who haven't heard of what MetPro does, talk about what metabolic profiling is. Yeah, so we are a concierge nutrition and fitness coaching company. We tailor what we do to the person. So I always say it looks different for everyone and and the need is, you know, obviously different. For you, you had the running down. It was the nutrition only piece that we were working on. For others, it's a combination. But I think what makes us a little bit different is it's individualized. It's not just here's your meal plan, follow this forever. It needs to be changing with you and your metabolism, which is in a constant state of flux. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. So your body doesn't just get used to one thing and, and stabilize <laughs> like it's very good at finding homeostasis. So you're, you're changing yeah. things up. And of course, depending on the person and their goals. When I first started working with you, I think I pretty much said, I have marathons on the calendar, but my number one goal is fat loss because I knew that was the major thing that was holding me back from feeling good, number one, and also you know making any progress with my marathons. So when people come to you, do you kind of try to help them balance out their goals? Is it depending on how much weight a person has to lose? Because I had like 35 pounds or more to lose. So I imagine if someone only has five or 10 pounds to lose, it might look a little bit different through the process. Definitely. And even just difference in body type and genetics. Some people have it really easy. I will say it's definitely not a fair competition here, but um, depending on how much weight they lose, depending on their, they might have a specific race they're shooting for, for that PR. And then like you had just several on the calendar that you were going to do. So we were able to, I would say not focus on performance 100%, focus on your primary goal. And that's, I would say all of us coaches, that's our first question is like, do you want a PR right now? Or do you want to get lean? Um, and what's the time frame? It's so kind of getting the person to prioritize first. I always say we can do both. But what what one do you want first? Yeah, that's an excellent point. It's like, you can have it all, but not necessarily all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And it was kind of like after we'd worked together about six months and I had done a couple of marathons, I had naturally just as a byproduct of losing so much fat had been able to make some breakthroughs in the marathon. I broke four hours for the first time in years. And then it was like after that, I could kind of see the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And I I wanted to balance more performance and, of course, continue along with my fat loss goals. And so, you know, you've been just awesome to work with to help me have the energy to train and to run higher miles um, of course, with the strength training piece of the puzzle is so important too. So I feel like you've really Definitely. helped me balance all of that. Well, and I think just like a lot of us use running coaches, as a runner, you hit a wall with what you can do by yourself. And it's okay to, you know, ask for help. That's 
like the most successful people have teams. And so I think that's a big thing. Like coaches need coaches. Everyone needs coaches. So if you have running dialed in and you're still not, you know, as lean as you want to be, obviously the nutrition, you know, that's usually where it starts. You're like, okay, got to focus on this running. Okay. Got that. Still not as fast as I want to be, not as lean as I want to be. Obviously nutrition is the next step, but they obviously go hand in hand. You need both if you want to perform at your best. You know, your nutrition has to be tailored to your training. And, you know, that's why certain days, you know, you're eating more, certain days you're eating less, um, certain time periods we're focused not on weight loss, giving your body a break from that stress and just focusing on performance. So it's hard to navigate those waters by yourself. So what was the plan? What did you guys do going into this marathon? Yeah. So this marathon, we were actually coming out of a weight loss, fat loss cycle, and we were in an up adjust. So we had been slowly increasing carbohydrates, therefore calories. We don't do any crazy, like triple the carb, carb load situation leading up to it. It's all gradual, allowing the body to slowly, you know, acclimate not to rock the boat, and the scale, we want to kind of keep someone as lean as possible. And so that's why we add slowly. Um, unlike, you know, some of those folks who maybe overdo it with the carbo loading and then they're bloated the next day, um, race day just doesn't lend well generally. So yeah, we were at the top of an up adjust. And I would say it worked out very well. Because and you felt like you had plenty of energy. Yeah, I, I felt great, you know the amount of carbs and fat and protein that I'd been eating. And so it wasn't like any huge changes. I was just following the plan, eating the the normal, you know, the foods that had been tested with my system um, yeah. in previous, you know, previous weeks and everything. So I wasn't throwing anything crazy at my body. And yeah, it was just everything came together and the nutrition piece was in place. And not only was I lighter than I was my last marathon, I also felt strong and, you know, had a good amount of energy. So <laughs> is that typically what you do is try to get your marathoners on an up adjust before their race? I do. If there's a way around it, unless someone, I mean, there's probably a few instances where I might say like, it's not as perfect in terms of timing. If someone's doing like the back to back, um, or if they're just pacing someone and it's not like the full effort, but for the most part, um, yeah, we try and do that and we'll plan our cutting cycle or our down adjust around post-race after that celebration. <laughs> um, and also navigating the upcoming season, which is like all the holidays and things get crazy. So the coaches are always planning like, okay, what do you have next? Like, what's the next race? What's the next event? And then figuring out what's the way to make you the most successful with whatever we're going to do. And I don't feel like I've really made it that easy for you, especially this fall, because <laughs> I had a Hartford marathon. And then two weeks later, I have uh, my Vermont marathon. And then two weeks later, I've got my New Hampshire marathon. So it's kind of like, you know, you're like, what am I going to do with her? We, I guess we on yeah. the phone um, Wednesday, we, d we talked about staying on an up adjust yep. through that third marathon in this little um, batch of them, and then going into a cutting cycle after that. So yeah, yes. it's, it's so nice just to have a plan and not have to like guess. So you're still up adjusting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's not, I was like, oh, we could do a quick drop, but you would maximize your drop in your fat loss cycle by staying on an up adjust as long as, you, as long as possible. There's no time limit on that. The longer you get your body acclimated to a higher intake, the better. 
especially since you have literally back-to-back races um, for the sake of recovery too. And then we have the holidays. So figure that out. (laughs) Yeah, it's been almost a year uh, that you guys have been working together because it was around Thanksgiving of 2018. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if we kind of zoom up and look at this year and the progress that Angie's made. What are some takeaways for people from her progress or just the process or maybe Angie things that you learned or aha moments? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I've I've talked about before that I wasn't necessarily like wild about the idea of, (laughs) even though I desperately needed to lose fat, I wasn't wild about the idea of starting with a nutrition coach right before the holidays. I thought, oh, this is going to spoil everything. Well, it turns out it didn't spoil everything. It was just fine. It was just what I needed. And I think once I saw that the process worked, you know, and I started to really trust in the process, it it really made me more eager to uh, be faithful. You know, obviously not 100% because there it it's all about balance and you guys are really good about incorporating mm-hmm. that balance into life because, you know, someone can do something 110%, but then if they burn out and they, the proverbial fall off the wagon, it really is not a lifestyle change. And so it really has to be about something that's sustainable mm-hmm. so that you feel good in your normal life and it can be something that, you know, you do forever. Yeah. That's what I always tell people. If you, if you can't do it forever, then why start it? Um, And I always tell my clients, like, I'm not a robot. I am running CIM with a client I can't wait to meet. And we will be celebrating after and, you know, having a drink and eating some non-Met Pro food together. And that's (laughs) important because that's life and you're going to have things that you want to celebrate. So not robots Mm -hmm. for sure. But also you just mentioned, you know, it's been a year. We're not a quick fix like you're body transformation is not something that happens overnight. So I think that's a good thing to think about because I think a lot of people, I mean, all of us, we want it so quick. We want it yesterday. Um, It's a long time coming, but once you get there and you did it sustainably, that's the last time. That's when it's worth it. That's a great point. Just like with long distance running, it's not a process that overnight you're going to be realizing your marathon goals. You have to put in that foundation and put in the effort. And the same with nutrition. It's like probably you didn't put that weight on overnight. And so it's going to be a process of getting it off and changing habits, changing mindset and all of that. Totally. Angie's going to give us the overnight guide to running 60 marathons. <laughs> I know, seriously. It's more like the 12-year guide. <laughs> but how, how strange is that to run 60 marathons? And, you know, she is 12, 13 years older now than when she started. And she ran her fastest marathon, her I 60th. was so excited. I told her, like, I needed that fuel for my long run um, because I was like, wait. Did that just happen? It was a really great, great weekend for endurance athletes. But that was like my highlight. Yeah. I was like, wait, did that happen too? <laughs> like I could hardly walk. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I did. I actually did like that. It definitely <laughs> happened. Those stairs happened. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, though, about running is age does not limit you as much. Totally. And when you do your strength training, right, Trevor? That's right. You can, you can run for a long time. (laughs) This is why I'm so happy for Angie because, I mean, she does all that stuff faithfully. I don't know anybody that exercises as faithfully as Angie, but as she has talked about, she kind of had hit a wall in her weight loss. So wasn't seeing the results that she was capable of because of that component, because that really important piece 
I mean, when you guys came along almost a year ago and talked about being a sponsor of the podcast and inviting us to try MetPro, Angie was really skeptical about it. <laughs> yeah. Because she had been so, a struggle that she'd had for so long with her metabolism. And I'm a type A personality. I like to do things myself. I like to figure it out. It almost feels like a weakness that I can't like put the pieces well, in you're place a, myself. <laughs> yeah, and you're a coach. So, exactly. And I think that's one thing that I've learned is that coaches need coaches too. But mm-hmm. I've got to see thousands of people that said the same thing that you did and wow. get that result. And I mean, that's why I love my job. I mean, you work so hard on your fitness And it was just one thing that needed fine tuning. And now you can see like, oh, here's the result of everything that I've done the last 12 years. Exactly. Well, we think you guys are geniuses. Thanks. (laughs) I can't wait to meet you guys, by the way. I (laughs) know. We're excited too. And I'm trying to convince any Matt Proer uh, MTA fan out there to come run with us too. That sounds great. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to go to Hawaii in January? We booked our tickets through Expedia, and there was a problem, and our our flights were canceled, so they called me, and I had to choose new flights, and I extended it by a day, so we're going to be in Hawaii. (laughs) I'm winning. That's awesome. So that's right, folks. Come to Hawaii, run the Rebel Coolia Marathon or Half Marathon, hang out. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We could eat some non-MetPro-approved food together. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting a pina colada after, I decided. Yeah. Well, we'll let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for taking the time yeah, to talk to us, though. Yeah, fun <laughs> impromptu. Yeah. I'm surprised walking into the school. <laughs> good to chat with you guys, though. Yes, you too. Have All a right. good weekend. Okay, we'll see you later. You, you too. Bye. Well, big thanks to Natalie for speaking with us. It was kind of an impromptu thing, but she's really flexible and was able to join us and make it happen. So we appreciate them and just really appreciate MetPro. They are seriously good at what they do. Of course, it's not within everyone's budget. We understand, you know, it is a high touch concierge coaching company, but if your goal is to lose weight or change your body composition, and maybe you've just felt stuck where you are and want some outside help from the pros, uh, head over to metpro.co. That's a .co, not a .com, forward slash MTA, and you can get on a free consultation call with them and see what they can do for you. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. So I guess, Angie, to sort of recap what you've said, we know it can be frustrating for people who have a goal of qualifying for Boston or setting a PR, but it just feels like it's taking too long. And you're saying, yeah, you just never know with your body, with just the way life is. It could take a long time or not, but you just have to enjoy the journey and see how the process unfolds. Yeah, really build that solid foundation. If you have that in place, it just gives you that springboard to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Really the things that sometimes take the longest and require the hardest work are the things that we find most valuable anyway. Usually if something comes easy and cheap, then there's really no satisfaction there anyway. So don't take those shortcuts. Make sure you have the solid foundation and also just fall in love with the process. Start enjoying the challenge of doing hard things. And that way you'll find joy in the journey and not just have your eyes set on the destination all the time. I really feel like if you really just stay on the path and you learn to love living a healthy life and feeling strong, it just makes it so worthwhile. And yeah, you may go seven and a half years like I did between PRs, but it's okay because I enjoy the work and I feel like going through those dry stretches makes you appreciate (laughs) the good things even more. 
And of course, there comes a point in every person's running that you won't get any faster. That's just a result of aging. If you don't learn to love the process, then at some point, you know, you'll probably just give up if you're just chasing times and just chasing PRs. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks again to our friends at Generation UCAN. If you want to try their amazing fueling products, their super starch, go to generationucan.com. Use the code MTA Hartford for 15% off. And don't forget, we have a live event with them at the New York City Marathon, November 1st. It'll be at 6.30 in the evening. The venue is not that far from the Javits Center where the Race Expo is. You can find out more and reserve a spot over at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. We will have a link with the show notes and other places on the website so you guys can find it. And the following day, Saturday, November 2nd, Angie and I will be hosting a morning shakeout run along with Coach Steve Walden, who's on our team. We're going to meet in front of the Marathon Pavilion, which is near Central Park, and then we'll run into Central Park, just do a couple miles, easy miles, and uh, go see the finish line, take some photos, and then go grab some coffee nearby and just have some runner talk. Love to see you there. Once again, that's Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And, of course, we'll have more info about that on our website with the show notes to this episode. So until next time, keep taking action in your health and life. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for being a listener and subscriber. And remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my